0: Other than the fact that God has ordained the governing authorities, are there any good reasons that we should submit to the government? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on org starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. You are listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Monday, February the 21st of 2011, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. God bless you guys, and thank you so much for joining us today. We're blessed to have you here. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 13. We're going to be covering verses 4 through 7 today, and what kind of amounts to part two of a lesson on... Uh, civil obedience or disobedience, when we should resist and when we should comply with what the government tells us to do. We're going to be talking about that today. So anyway, uh, sorry that I didn't get a lesson up for you guys last week. I had a little bit of uh, a sinus infection last week. We did some painting in our house, and man, that afternoon, I, I just started feeling it like, you know, in my in my head, just starting to, to build up pressure. And I thought, oh man, Didn't have enough windows open. Didn't have enough ventilation in the house. Just kind of one of those things that happens. So uh, I got myself through last Sunday at church and then Monday... Uh, I was pretty stuffed up, so I thought, well, you know, I've, I've got some church business that I, I really needed to attend to, and um, aside from that, uh, I, I sounded like my nose was just plugged up. So anyway, <laughs> I, I guess my my whole theory or my, my whole philosophy of doing the podcast is I, I want it to be my best. I want it to be the best that I have to offer, the best that I have to give. Uh, God doesn't deserve anything less than that from me. So um, so yeah, so we didn't continue last week. We'll be continuing this week with Romans chapter Thirteen, and just a quick announcement, I guess, for you guys. As we uh, as we've been unpacking all these boxes since we moved here to the uh, to the Seattle area up up here to uh, to Linwood, I came across uh, this box of stickers that I thought we had completely used. I didn't realize we had any more of these. Uh, they're, they're kind of clear window stickers that uh, that we'd given away in in a promotion. I don't know, a couple of years ago or so. And anyway, while we were in Arkansas. Uh, i, I don 't think I ever saw him. I thought I think that was all the way back in North Carolina. so anyway, uh, if you guys are interested in getting one of these clear window stickers any t- time between now and the end of next month, everybody who makes any donation of any size. Uh, to our ministry is going to get one of these window stickers. Uh, And of course, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and on the right-hand side, just click on the support box, and that'll take you to your options. Or you can mail it to uh, to, uh, our ministry via the church that I'm pastoring now up here at uh, Linwood Evangelical Free Church, and the address for that is also on the website if you prefer to send a check. So anyway, yeah, I was kind of surprised to find these. Uh, We've still got quite a few of them. So if that's something that you guys are interested in, I'd love to get them in your hands. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started today with a quick word of prayer. God, we thank you for who you are. And uh, Lord, we trust you. Lord, we trust your word. We trust what it tells us in terms of practical living, living out our faith, living in a way that shows our obedience to you. And Lord, as we approach this sometimes controversial subject, I pray that you'll give us wisdom and insight from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our previous lesson on civil disobedience or civil obedience, we briefly discussed the problem of evil, and we made note of the fact that there is corruption within almost any human system, even the government. Now, even though Paul has told us, that every governing authority is ordained by God, we should note that many of those very governments, which have been ordained by God, go on to practice and promote evil things. And it's not that God has force them to do so. He's not forcing these governments to promote evil things. No, they, they freely choose to do evil. But God, knowing the end from the beginning, has perfect knowledge of the best way to carry out his plans. And he's promised us that all things work to the good of those who love him, right? So God's plan is ultimately the same thing that Paul just commanded us to do, at the end of Romans chapter 12. You remember what that is? It's to overcome evil with good. See, if God won't do evil to overcome evil, we shouldn't either, right? Doesn't that follow logically? But Paul, being the apologist that he is, foresaw a possible objection. Okay, if we're not supposed to do evil, and if we're supposed to submit ourselves to the governing authorities, what if the governing authorities force us to do something evil? And friends, it's not like it's never happened. In fact, the American government promotes evil. It promotes uh, infanticide, among other things, by not only legalizing abortion, but by promoting it, a portion of our taxes go toward supporting abortions. Uh, The question that Paul's addressing, however, is twofold. A whether or not we should engage in evil when the government requires it, and B, whether we should deny our faith if the government requires it. And of course, the answer to both questions is an unequivocal no. Even if it costs us time in prison, and even if it costs us our lives, the answer is no. We should never do evil for any reason. Paul's exhortation to us is to always do what is good because the governing authorities ultimately want good citizens. And so for that reason, we should strive to live good lives. We should live peaceful and quiet lives because if we live good lives, we should have no reason to fear the government, at least in theory. The bottom line, Paul tells us, is that if we're living quiet and peaceful lives in which we're submitted to the authority of the governing authorities, authorities, will have a good reputation with them. That's kind of what Paul told us back in verse 3. And Paul continues on this theme, telling us why God ordains each governmental institution in the first place, writing in Romans chapter 13, verse 4, "...for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil." So the first reason, uh, Paul told us back in verse 3, the first reason that we should submit to the governing authorities is that doing so frees us from the need to fear the government. The second reason that Paul gives us here in verse 4 is that God ordained the government in order to promote and preserve the greatest good. It's to preserve order and peacefulness between its citizens. But that comes with a warning if we refuse to submit ourselves to that good, God has also given humanity a sense of ethics and morality, and every government understands that poor behavior requires consequences. It does not bear the sword for nothing, Paul says. So in other words, the government is ordained by God for the sake of carrying out temporal judgment and punishment. One of the problems that we inescapably face in in light of this truth is that human judgment is often, for being honest, is often flawed. Courts send innocent people off to prison all the time. Courts rule that guilty people are innocent all the time. I mean, it happens every day. How do we respond to that? Is that God's will? Well, Honestly, we can't really answer this because God is working in ways that we don't always see. See, it's never God's will that the innocent be deemed guilty or that the guilty be deemed innocent. But we have to trust that God is big enough and serious enough about crime that he has a bigger plan in mind. For the guilty person who is ruled innocent, we can be sure that God will deal with that person in one way or another, whether we see it or not. If nothing else, they will have to stand before him one day and give an account for their lives. If their conscience isn't too seared, they'll also have the guilt of their crime on their conscience for the rest of their lives. And if their conscience is too seared for them to actually be experiencing the torment of their guilt for their crime, well, honestly, we should feel pity for them and pray that God would soften their heart. That's ultimately what would be the greatest good, for God to soften their hearts. See, it's much more complicated, however, when we're talking about an innocent person who ends up spending years in prison after having been falsely ruled guilty. And this does happen. It's, it's more rare, but it does happen. And this is kind of just an unfortunate byproduct of living under a temporal governing authority that, unlike God himself, won't always judge correctly for one reason— or another. Just like I as a parent will sometimes misjudge who's to blame when my kids are are bickering or squabbling, a judge acting on behalf of the governing authorities will from time to time misjudge an innocent person as being guilty. And this is just one of those times when the innocent person has to trust that the Lord has something else in store for them that they might not see right away. If the innocent person enters prison as someone who doesn't know Jesus at all as their Lord and Savior, maybe, just maybe, their time in prison is for the purpose of being reached by a prison ministry or maybe even by an inmate who's turned from their sin and they've put their trust for salvation in Jesus after having been in prison. Uh, If the innocent person enters prison as a follower of Jesus, however, maybe God's plan and purpose is for them to shine the light of Jesus inside the prison walls for everyone to see. The fact is that the closer a person gets to rock bottom and the more time a person has to sit there and think, the more likely they are to consider their own mortality and thus to get things straight with God. So the point that Paul's trying to make here is that civil obedience frees us up to fear God rather than fearing the government, even the most corrupt government. And secondly, it, by and large, frees us to serve God in a more effective way than we'd be able to if we were locked inside of prison walls. See, if we're not submitting ourselves to the authorities, God has granted the authorities the right, the ability to punish evildoers. That's all the more reason for us to refuse to do evil, right? I mean, we can't reach and minister to this broken and dying world inside of prison walls as widely or as effectively as we can if we're outside of prison walls. And so thus Paul's admonition stands firm. Don't do evil. Don't do evil, period, end of story. But aside from the aspect of temporal wrath being poured out on evildoers by the government, Paul tells us that there's yet another reason for us to subject ourselves to the authority of the government. He writes in Romans chapter 13, verses uh, 5 and 6, Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. So we see that the second reason to abstain from doing evil has to do with the conscience. The conscience is, as we've discussed over the past few lessons, something that can be an even greater and more severe punishment than anything else. And that's why we, as followers of Jesus, that's why we need to keep our consciences clean. The cleaner our conscience, the more aware we are when the Holy Spirit is prodding us, steering us to something or away from something. Now, the way that technology continues to grow is amazing. They say that every three to five years, the memory capacity of a computer becomes too small to keep up with what's current on the internet, for example. And, uh, you know, I had my previous computer for about five years, and I finally decided to get a new one because it would just freeze up every time I tried to get on the internet. The information it was trying to take in was overwhelming. It was just too great for what that computer was designed to handle. And so while it was processing so many different things at once, it it would just freeze up. Well, the conscience works the same way. If we don't deal with it and keep it clean, the conscience freezes up. It becomes seared. It reaches a point where there are too many things that it's dealing with simultaneously, and thus it becomes numb. It becomes ineffective. And it's important, friends, it's important that we confess our sins and that we deal with them and deal with them swiftly. That's exactly what Paul did. And that's why he was able to go before the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were accusing him and say, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. That's from Acts chapter 23, verse 1. Paul would also write in his second letter to the church in Corinth For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world. That's from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, Peter, writing to a group of Christ followers who were undergoing severe persecution by the government, instructed them, quote, keep a good conscience so that in the same thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. That's from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. We see then that the conscience the conscience is something that's really, really important. It's as good a reason as any for us to abstain from evil completely and to confess and to turn from our sins as swiftly as possible. And so for these reasons, Paul encourages his audience to pay their taxes, to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and to render unto God what is God's. Because the government is an institution ordained by God, he says, support it. Abide by the rules it sets, as as long as it doesn't hinder the gospel or force an individual to do evil, and support it financially as it requires. After all, what would happen if all the Christ followers decided to stop paying taxes? Well, two things, probably. First of all, they'd be subjected to the wrath of temporal punishment by the authorities. Uh, They might be thrown in jail and thus rendered ineffective. And secondly, the witness of that group of Christ followers would be tarnished. They'd have a bad reputation. They'd have a reputation for breaking the law, right? For not supporting the greater good in society. By paying taxes, Paul's reminding us that we're supporting the very institution that God ordained to serve his purposes and interests. The reality is that our reputation is important. It's a really powerful thing. It can help us or it can hinder us from spreading the gospel, depending on whether or not we have a good reputation. Far be it from us to do anything which would hinder it in any way. That's Paul's motivation, and it should be our motivation today for everything that we do as well. And so Paul sums this up by writing in Romans chapter 13, verse 7, Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. See, Paul knows that there are just going to be certain things that every government expects from its citizens. And his instruction, Paul's instruction, is to give the government what they will most likely expect. If they expect taxes, pay your taxes. If they expect custom, give them custom. The the NISB translation says, to give custom, uh, to whom custom is due. That's a little bit of a, a strange translation, actually. The word refers to a toll. Uh, you know, a tax is something that you might pay based on a schedule. You know, maybe you pay it every, uh, every week or, or every month or every year, whereas a toll is really something that you pay based on how many times you use it. Uh, for example, a toll road. You don't pay it unless you're driving on it, but every time you drive on it, you pay it. So So that's kind of what this this Greek word refers to. Uh, In Matthew 17, verse 25, we find the same word. Jesus asks Simon Peter, From whom do the kings of the earth collect Customs or poll tax from their sons or from strangers, and so, uh, so what we see here is that a custom isn't an act, since the kings of the earth don't collect acts; uh, they collect tolls. So I think that's what Paul's referring to here: uh, tolls. Now, the third thing that Paul tells us that a government might expect is fear. Uh, Although this word can also be translated and maybe should be translated as respect. The principle here is that they expect compliance with the laws that they set in motion. Paul's already told us that if we're living good lives, we don't need to fear the government. And so uh, for that reason, I think respect certainly seems to be a better translation of this word. The fourth thing that a government is most likely going to expect is honor. In other words, What Paul's telling us is, respect the authority of those in governing positions and treat them as if they were people who have been directly placed in their position by God to be in charge of the masses. The same way that children are to honor their parents, those who follow Jesus are to honor the governing authorities because God has ordained those authorities. Now, most of us are obviously not going to be living right now in the same conditions that the first century roman christ followers were living in there are exceptions however unfortunately there is persecution going on around the world of christians there are definitely countries around the world today which are seeing followers of jesus as a threat to their civilization in the united states there's kind of a trend in which the same view is growing it's not there quite yet but maybe it is growing No matter where we live, however, our response to governmental persecution should be the same that Paul instructed of his audience in Rome. Abstain from evil. Don't do it. Don't do it no matter what. Don't do it. Live a good life. Keep a clean conscience and give the governing authorities all that God asks you to give them, being mindful of the fact that he ordained their authority. The instructions to both live at peace with everyone, which is one of the instructions that he gave us in the previous chapter, and to overcome evil with good, those instructions remain intact. Whether the source of that evil is an individual who doesn't like us, or even when the source of that evil is the very government that God has set in place. Don't do evil no matter what. Live a good life. Have a good conscience. Let your light shine let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks so clearly in our world today, especially with all the civil unrest in these other countries that we're seeing on the news every day. Uh, We've seen it, Lord, in in Egypt, in Bahrain, in Libya, and and several other countries. And Lord, first of all, I I just want to pray that you would protect uh, your people over there. Uh, the Christians who are living in those countries, Lord, I pray that you will protect them from evildoers uh, and that you will keep their witness strong by uh, by guiding them, by keeping them safe and by uh, having them live good lives and keep a clear conscience before you. God, I thank you that uh, that your word does still shine in even the darkest places in the world. And Lord, we see an opportunity for your light to shine so brightly amid the darkness in the Middle East right now. I pray, Lord, that you would shine that light into the hearts of unbelievers in that area. God, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light to proclaim your glory. Lord, we understand that one of the ways that we do that is by submitting ourselves to the governing authorities that you have ordained. Lord, we thank you for the governments that are protecting us and uh, keeping order uh, in this time. We recognize, Lord, that they are your instruments, and so, Lord, I just ask that you would teach us to submit ourselves to them in a way that would glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. longingly after my heart but you were the one whose beauty shines on time after time you gave it